0: For those who are wanting to go to Kids Praise, now is your chance to escape. Um, so feel free to run out the door, and Amy will be waiting out in the hallway for you. You know, Seeing them go reminds me of a story of when our kids were little. Um, about two, two doors up from our house uh, was an elderly couple named um, Warren and Edna Wright. And it was pretty routine for our kids to just uh, ask to go over to their house. They would just walk up the street and ring the doorbell at the rights, And they'd answer the door and they would give them a story and a cookie. And so then that whole thing took about 10 minutes and then they'd come home. And uh, one morning, Molly asked if she could go up to the rights and get a story and a cookie. So she left, came back. Um, But about five minutes after Molly returned to our house, um, my doorbell rang. And standing on our front porch were Warren and Edna. And they were both crying. And it it took me a moment, and and I finally realized that they were crying tears of joy. Like, they were laughing so hard that they were crying. And so I asked them, I said, what happened? And they said that Molly had come, and she, she was like... In this picture, she was like five years old, and she'd rung the doorbell like usual. And Edna came to answer the door, and Edna was going through cancer treatment, and so she was doing chemotherapy, and her hair had already started to fall out in really large clumps. And um, when she went, and Warren had bought her a wig, but when she went to answer the door, she forgot to put it on. And so here, Molly, you know, comes Zimbarges barges in, and they sit on the couch, and she and Edna have their story and their cookie. And on her way out the door, Edna said, "My paused, she stopped, she turned around, and she put one hand on her hip, and she looked at Edna, and she goes, "I really like your new haircut." and then out the door she went. You know it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? I mean, when it comes to aging, when it comes to this body, this temple wearing out, i mean." What's your perspective on the subject? Like, what are you focused on? Is it like the weight gain or the hair loss or the graying or the wrinkles? Um, maybe, maybe you're a little more serious type, and it's the finances. You know, maybe that's what you're worried about when it comes to aging. Um, or maybe regret. You know, there's a lot of regret as we get older. Um, or maybe even, you know, those inevitable losses that come along after about the age of 50. Well, my mom often quotes Betty Davis, an actress, who said, "'Growing old isn't for sissies.'" Oprah Winfrey commented, "'We live in a youth-obsessed culture that is constantly trying to tell us that if we are not young and we are not glowing and we are not hot, then we don't matter.'" So how do we develop? the good perspective as we age so that we can be positive and hopeful and excited about growing older in this aging process. Well, as John mentioned, we're going to be going through Immerse starting tomorrow, and these are the books of poetry. And we start that reading schedule tomorrow, and these are the wisdom books of Scripture. And if there's ever a time we needed wisdom, I would say it would be maybe about right now. Um, And these wisdom books look at the whole scope of life of a person who's walking with God. And by way of introduction today, we're going to look just at one of those books, and that would be Psalm 71, because it is the psalm of the person who is full of years. Now, the author has lived a life not unlike ours. They've had a lot of trials. They've had a lot of problems. But it's obviously a joyful person who shows us a beautiful perspective on how to grow old God's way. Now, you probably know this. The Psalms are actually songs. And the ancient origin of that word psalms is actually zamar in Hebrew, which means both to pluck, to make music, but it also means like to pluck, as in to prune or to trim. So like when you're pruning in your garden, And pruning is, you know, obviously done for growth and for better fruit. So I just, I love this image of the psalms, these worship songs, because as we worship God with song and we're plucking the instruments, it's like he's plucking out the dead stuff in our lives and the sin that so easily entangles us. And in that process of worshiping God, um, he is just pruning us, so that we can then go out to that world after having worshiped and we can bear fruit. Now, the reason that the anonymous author of Psalm 71 could handle problems later in life is that he or she had developed a walk with God in the years leading up to this point when they wrote the psalm and they were having problems. The psalmist had a proven resource in the Lord which enabled him or her to be strong on the inside even though their body was growing weaker. And as the psalmist says later, and his enemies were powerful. So let me ask you a question this morning. Who are your enemies? What makes you maybe afraid to grow old? Is it dementia? Your finances? Could it be the losing control that can often happen? Perhaps it's poor relationship with your family, and that saddens you? Is it the world and its uncertainty? How well equipped are you to handle the inevitable losses that will come along when you get older? Now, there are three aspects of the psalmist's walk with God, which he's developed over the years because he's followed the Lord his whole life which have helped him in this time of trial, in his old age, in Psalm 71. And I'd like to acknowledge Stephen Cole for his outline this morning. The first thing we need to do to grow old God's way is we need to develop a deep experiential knowledge of God. Now, just a brief cursory reading that Connor did this morning during worship, and he was reading um, Psalm 71 to us. Um, Just a brief cursory reading reveals the author's immense vocabulary that he uses to describe God. And it shows the depth and the breadth of his experience with God, even from his youth. And I just wonder, as we look at this list up on the screen right now, or if you're at home on your screen, as you look at this list of God's characteristics, I just wonder have you experienced God in these ways? The psalmist knows God first as his refuge, and even in verse seven, he refers to God as his strong refuge. The, he calls the Lord his righteous savior in five different verses. So we know that that quality about God is so important. He also calls God his rock and his fortress and his hope. The author talks of God's mighty and wondrous deeds, his strength and his power, and the great things that he has done. What great things has God done for you lately? I wonder. And he realized that it was God who allowed him to experience trouble, and that it was God who delivered him out of it so that he could be restored. And most importantly, I think, he knows God is the one who has redeemed his soul. I think it's obvious that the psalmist has known his God for a lot of years. And he's proved God's faithfulness in a number of previous difficult circumstances for him to be able to say this about God at the end of his life. If we look, uh, I want to share with you just a short story. It's by Reverend Stephen Cole, and and he tells it this way. He said, a number of years ago, our neighbor's two daughters, who were in grade school and junior high at the time, came running out of their house in a panic. Smoke came billowing out the door behind them. And I discovered that there was a grease fire in their oven and that their parents were not at home. So I ran into the kitchen. I assumed that they must not have a fire extinguisher, or they would have used it. So I tried to smother the fire with flour. Well, that didn't work. And so finally, in desperation, I asked, do you happen to have a fire extinguisher? Well, it turned out they had three. And so one of the girls gave me one, and I had the fire out in seconds, he says. And he goes on to say the fire extinguisher was an adequate resource for that crisis, but the girls didn't know how to use it or they had no experience in using it so that it didn't do them any good. Now, to benefit from the fire extinguisher, I needed to know what it could do and how to use it in that emergency. And in the same way, we need to know our God and what he can do so that we can lay hold of the tremendous resources that belong to us as his children. If we're learning that right now, today, then we will know him as our confidence when the crises of old age come upon us, and they will. Do you have a New Year's resolution this year? Anybody have one? Well, most experts agree that it takes about a month of daily practice and repetition to make a habit of anything. And when God repeats words in Scripture, like he does in Psalm 71, we're supposed to take notice. So there's this little Hebrew word, and it's tamid, and it's repeated in verses 3, 5, and 16. And it is translated Continually and it describes the habits, okay, the habits that the psalmist has developed. Now, these aren't habits that we pick up naturally. They have to be done deliberately. They have to be habits that are practiced, they're cultivated, they're repeated. And these are habits of trust, habits of praise, and habits of hope. And I just want us to unpack these for a moment together. First, the habit of trust. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Now as a kid, I can tell you of the countless times that I came downstairs early in the morning and there my dad would be in the living room with his Bible open and he would be reading scripture and spending time with the Lord. Or I'd come home from school and my mom's Bible study materials were strewn around the kitchen table. And that said something to me. Not only did uh, this habit build trust in God for my parents, but it modeled a life of trust for me. And so whenever we had a crisis or an issue, I just remember my parents continuing to trust God with their finances, trust God with us kids, trust God with the future. They were Stretching their spiritual muscles, and they were practicing trust. As a kid, I got a front row seat to what it looks like to be faithful to God and what God's faithfulness looks like to us. Are you developing a habit of trusting God in the difficult times in your life? Or are you frequently filled with worry or doubt or fear? If you have trouble trusting, could I suggest to you this morning that you concentrate on continuing to know your God more deeply? A brief observation, you know, of young parents dropping their kids off in the church nursery, I think, uh, demonstrates this point because it is often the friendly face at the door, the familiar face at the door, that gives that young child the confidence to actually stay. Now, in addition to the habit of trust, the psalmist has also developed a habit of praise. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. You know, you're going to find out as you read through the psalms this week, if you don't know this already, that they are full of real-life comments on real-life issues in real time. I mean, there is a lot of whining going on in the psalms. A lot of crying, a lot of lamenting, and some boohooing. Um, remember, a psalm, or zamar, also means to trim or to prune. And pruning hurts a lot. So when it hurts, with the psalmist, we remember who our God is in the midst of it. Thank God in everything. In refers to during or while, no matter what the circumstances may be. Be thankful and give thanks. For this is the will of God, or for the goal of God, for you who are in Christ Jesus. The habit of hope. But I will continually hope and will praise you yet more and more. The psalmist had not only developed habits of trust and praise, but also of hope. I was at Wakefield Covenant in Nebraska um, a while back, and I was giving a Crescendo workshop, and I met an elderly woman named Vivian. She came to the workshop, and she was, she'd come a little bit early, so we were doing a little small talk, and I said, Hey, Vivian, have you lived in Wakefield your whole life? To which she quickly responded, Not yet. <laughs> in his book, The Hope Quotient, Ray Johnston says this about hope. Hope is the highest octane fuel in the universe, a forward-facing confidence, the expectation of good to come. Now, there's a big difference between secular hope and biblical hope. Now, both forms of hope, you know, kind of contain this idea of future expectation. So when I say, I hope the Chiefs win next week... There is uncertainty because the object of my hope is not necessarily certain. It's variable. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I hope not, but he could get injured in the first quarter, or I doubt it, but maybe the other team has a better record than us. Um, But when I say that I hope that Jesus Christ will return, I'm expressing something certain but not yet realized Biblical hope is built upon trust in God and his faithfulness, which cannot change, and it does not waver. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O God, from my youth. Each generation should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You know, when I think of how God has worked in the past in my life, it just builds my hope so that I have it for right now in what's going on. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So in addition to knowing who God is and what godly habits have you been regularly cultivating recently in your life, do they include continual trust, praise, And hope in God. And then finally, the third thing that the psalmist does in order to age well is that he has developed a lifestyle of ministry for God. Although the psalmist was old and he could have kicked back and he could have said, you know, I really deserve to relax now. Um, I'm in my later years. I, I could use some rest. Actually, he didn't. Born out of a habit of hope, that is always forward-thinking, he still had concern for ministry to the next generation. The concept of retirement was not in this psalmist's vocabulary. And might I add, it's not in the Bible either. Psychologist Eric Erickson is known for his eight-stage theory on human development, and he explains it this way. People have emotional developmental tasks Uh, at each stage in life. So for instance, infancy is marked with the tasks of trust and mistrust, and these two things are held in tension until the child learns to trust. And once a child learns to trust them, they can move on to the next stage. Or adolescence, that is marked by identity and role confusion. You know, we can remember we've been there. We try on all kinds of ways to think about ourselves. And those things are held in tension until finally we get to figure out who God has made us to be. So when adolescents have a firm understanding of who they are, then they mature on to the next stage. Now, Speaking of maturing, as I've aged, my eyes um, have needed these little readers. How many of you may have a pair? Maybe, you know, you might even have them on your face. Um, but, but wouldn't it be great if they had, like, little readers for seeing into the future? Um, I think it was movie maker Gene Wilder who said hindsight is always twenty twenty. But what if, uh, imagine the problems and the issues and the foibles that you could avoid if you had these little readers that could see into the future. Well, by middle age, um, when we reach Erickson's seventh stage of development, um, and our tasks that we hold in tension are generativity and self-absorption. Now, generativity, as the name suggests, refers to our ability to be generous with other people, to be other-focused, and to be serving other people. Self-absorption, as the name suggests, describes that self-absorbed, self-centered person, and you, you may know some of these folks. Now, the tra- trajectory is what's important here, and here's where we need to get on our little readers to see into the future. Generativity, living generously, it sets the stage For healthy living in our later years, when the losses of aging begin to multiply, and when, as the psalmist says, the enemies surround us, so to speak. A life lived generously in the middle years, being other-centered, serving others, later enjoys the fruit in stage eight of what Erickson calls integrity knowing that you've been living as God requires you. You will have peace with God and others, and that will be a hallmark of the fact that you have integrity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, says the Apostle Paul. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you must look to the interest of others. Erikson then points out that those who go through the midlife years with a bent on self-absorption, of putting self-interest above the interests of God or above the interests of others, will find oneself on a trajectory for despair in old age, arriving in the last stage of life when things dramatically funnel into focus. And if you don't know what that is like talk with someone who is older because they will tell you life goes faster and faster and just funnels down and a lot of things begin to make sense and go into sharp focus when you finally recognize that you have major regrets about how you lived your life. Hopelessness easily sets in and with a few years left to live, one experiences a keen sense that many opportunities in life have been wasted. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he experienced this in spades. Once he had completed the temple of God and building that in midlife, he turned to self-indulgence, self-absorption, and, self, and disobedience to God. And we can hear the deep regret, and we're going to read about his deep regret all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes as he laments, all is vanity. Conversely, we have the example of the encouragement of the Apostle Paul to the young son in the faith, Timothy. And he tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Knowing that death was soon, Paul was able to experience peace with God and hand down a legacy of faith that would bring others into eternity. Do you not know, warns the Apostle Paul, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. The point is, the elderly psalmist didn't want to be delivered from his problems so that he could go out and play golf and go fishing every day in his older years. Instead, he says this. So, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. You know, you see, he had a vision. He had a vision. He was wearing his little readers, and he had a vision to hand off the baton to the younger generation. He saw a longer life as an opportunity for extended ministry. And his ministry was built on his knowledge of God and his habits of trust, praise, and hope so that he had something worth handing off. Abraham Lincoln said, "It's In the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. Our mission statement for Crescendo Ministry, which I lead here, is every person at Countryside who is 55-plus growing in Jesus Christ and engaged in his kingdom ministry. Now, Crescendo, it's not a program. It is a perspective. It's not an activity. It is an attitude. It's not retirement. It is retooling. It is repurposing. It is reimagining it's, it's like an orchestra, and near the end of a song when the conductor brings in all the instruments for one glorious, magnificent, final point, which is called the crescendo. And so, too, I believe that God intends to conduct your experiences in life, from your family to your education to your work history to your gifts and your talents, and he wants to fine-tune all of those things for the purpose of your glorious high point in life, which is to glorify him right up to the end of your life on earth and on into eternity. We never stop. And if you're thinking, it's too late, or perhaps, well, God really can't use me, please remember, Abraham and Sarah birthed a nation at ages 100 and ages 90, respectively. Or Moses began his third career move at 80 when God called him to lead all of the Israelites out of Egypt. Or Caleb, uh, he was 85 when God gave him the task of leading the armies with Joshua into the promised land. And he said, I feel as young today as I did when I was in my 40s. God gave him strength. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. And just a few of my heroes who are living a life, a crescendo life, that is fresh and green in McPherson. And I, I can't begin to name them all because if I did, I think I would, I'm sure I would leave out so many people. So I just want to highlight six because they're involved in various ways of serving the Lord in their later years. First is LaJane Anderson and her husband Frank. They disciple young adults in their home week after week, year after year, Helping our young people mature in Christ. Sandy Thompson's found a great fulfillment by helping desperate families uh, through working with the McPherson Housing Coalition. Ron Mork and his wife Val assist the management at the Reuse It Center and fix an awful lot of stuff around our church. Marsha Bacon went on her first mission trip because she was inspired by the mission trips of her grandchildren. And she'd paid for enough of them, and it was about time for her to serve on one, she said. Tom Steinmetz is the assistant manager at the McPherson Food Bank. After retiring, Bob Williford took what had been his hobby, and he went into business with one of his sons. And their mission is to use godly, Business practices to employ, train, and equip the next generation of young workers who need to learn hands on skills in the trades industries in Kansas. Repurposing, retooling. For the unlearned, old age is winter, but for the learned, it is the season of the harvest. Bearing fruit into old age. I just wonder this morning, whether you're sitting at home or you're here with us, what's going to be your story? What trajectory is your life on right now? Do you have God's perspective on this? Well, the good news this morning is that God's way for us to grow old is for us to develop a walk with him right now, from this day forward. A walk that involves a deep, personal, experiential knowledge of God. A walk that includes the cultivated habits of trust and praise and hope in God. And a walk that involves a generous lifestyle of ministry for Christ, which will be marked by integrity and peace in our old age. Then, as long as we have life, as long as we have breath, we can show and tell and sing of the greatness of our God to the next generation. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you that your desire is to take all of our life experience, whether we think it's good or bad, God, you've promised that you're going to work it all out for good. And that you will take our gifts and our talents and as we lay them at the altar that you are going to work them all together to create a glorious crescendo with our lives. So Lord God, I pray that you would move through us by the power of your Holy Spirit and grant us little readers, give us a vision for what our life needs to look like as we put our trust in you. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.